I'm Rocky Lou of Rocky Lou Productions. This podcast is the second part of the fourth story in a series of stories by Amber Lockridge. The collection, entitled Obruni, documents Amber's time as an exchange student in Ghana from 2000 to 2001. The previous podcast, Part 1, The Devil's Hair Ground, followed Amber's hair-braiding adventure from initial optimism to the madness of constant multi-directional hair-tugging. A woman in blue pants, a salon owner, seemed particularly determined to yank and twist each braid with cruel ferocity. It started off well enough. A nice washing and drying, a little curling, some waxing. Yes, I thought, I can handle this. It's 8.30 now, so I should be out of here by 4 this afternoon, tops. But, as 4 o'clock crept closer, I grew uneasy. Hesitation became dreadful certainty. I had been deceived, misled into believing my taxi ride home was a mere whistle away. Part one ended with Amber tossing aside her condescending novel and catnapping to escape the pain, irritation, and boredom. Part two, All's Hair and Love and War, continues her epic but lighthearted journey of initiation from a head of wispy Caucasian optimism to tightly braided African pride as a hopeful suitor enters the shop. Part 2, All's Hair in Love and War. This was, by far, the best method I had found to pass the time. Consequently, I was not pleased to have my reverie suddenly interrupted by a loud man stepping in from the street and shouting ecstatically, Oh, Bruni! Jubilantly, he trounced over to me and asked, Oh, Ten Den! A simple how are you, but dragging out the words in comical fashion. I was not interested in conversation, but neither could I let my ego go unasserted. Boko, I grumbled. Okay. Hey! He cried. Otafanti! Otafanti! This followed by an idiotic little dance directly in front of me. Who was this guy? I looked to the girls still pulling unmercifully at my scalp, but they only shook their heads and laughed. Etafantia? He now asked me. Etafantia? Atsi? Atsi? Yes, I understand, Fonti, I replied in kind. There was another repetition of the antelope dance. What's your name? He inquired. Kukua. Kukua? You are Kukua? His explosive laughter made me cringe. Where are you from? Apprehensive now. America. I thought, as I watched the excitement bounce between his eyes. The truth had slipped out before I could stop myself. Hey, Sister Kukua, you are a very beautiful American girl. I peered at him skeptically from behind my sweaty mass of hair. 
I couldn't imagine that the parts of me currently visible were all that appealing to look at. Besides which, I didn't like the direction this conversation was heading. True to my suspicions, he began to inquire my age and parents' names, trying all the while to desperately get hold of my hand. I decided to try humor to discourage him. At the very first mention of the word wife, I cried out in the native tongue, Menta Fanti! I don't understand Fanti! I can't speak it at all! One of the girls, assuming I really didn't understand, leaned over helpfully to explain it in English. He will marry you! Menta Fanti! I cried again. I don't understand Fanti! You understand English? he asked. Oh no, I don't understand English either. <laughs> Everyone was laughing so hard, half the girls stopped plating. I decided to press my advantage. I don't want to talk, I scolded him fiercely in Fanti. Ma bre, I'm tired. Go outside. Co, go outside. I pointed firmly to the door. With a shocked but amused grin on his face, my would-be suitor stepped tentatively towards the exit. Co, I cried. Go outside. Relieved and laughing, we all watched him disappear. I settled back into my resigned slouch, listening to the female voices, chattering excitedly as they returned to their work. Just as I was resuming my trance, a form burst through the door. Adwa! The same cried. I put my hand on my head. Kukua, I corrected him with a mumble. He rushed forward to grasp my exposed hand. You're too beautiful. You will take me to America, eh? He stroked the hand. I can't, I replied, replaying a conversation I had already had far too many times to take seriously. You don't want to? You don't like me? He gazed blankly at me, unreadable. No, 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 I lied. I can't take you to America. I'm too young. My government won't recognize me until I'm 21. This was a blatant lie, but it had worked previously to navigate the fine line on this issue between offending the suitor and encouraging his attention. Had she been here, my host mother would have chased this man from the store with every manner of loud reproach. In this case, however, the blankness of his eyes and tightness of his grip showed that my words had failed to sway him. Oh, why, oh, Bruni, you're too beautiful. You must take me to America. You have a boyfriend? he asked. Yes, I said. He's Ghanaian. He continued to stare mildly, stroking my captured hand, unconvinced or unconcerned. My lies had failed, trapped and in pain, I could endure no more. Sisters, please help me, I begged of my captors. I'm tired. This time, they took pity on me and shooed him out of the store. So I settled once again into the timeless rhythms of breathing. Thankfully, it grew easier as the sun went down. The heat faded away, and the strangling halo of wispy mesh dwindled to a select section in the front. 
I caught sight of the antelope man from time to time, glancing hopefully into the shop, but he did not come in again to try and woo me. Even the girls seemed to have lightened up the pressure on my head, perhaps less in response to my small cries and more in startled self-correction as each managed to rip their own O'Bruni hair souvenir straight out of my scalp. And no doubt, a general numbness of head and heart descended like a grateful veil to wrap me up in a timeless stupor. I stopped checking my watch. I dozed and drooled and let my body be moved to and fro by the more settled and coordinated rhythms of my sister stylists. At some point, I grabbed for my book and discovered that my tolerance for arrogance was much improved with the reduction in general frustration, and so I read for several hours. The blue-trousered woman did not stay all the time in my head. I don't know if she tired of her failure to crush my commitment to this process, or if she was merely disgusted by the inability of my scalp to withstand the steady force of her calloused and angular technique. Instead, she popped up occasionally, in my peripheral vision, to utter a dissatisfied clucking noise, chastise a girl in Fonty, or reiterate her dominance over my head for a braid or two before disappearing again. When they reached the very top of my head, well into the darkness now, progress came to a definitive halt. The snarled mass of hair that had amused me earlier had now solidified into a tangled ball of hardened wax, a fact that somehow managed to startle them. They pulled and teased at it with combs. Our blue madam came over to tug at it aggressively, but to no avail. Jaded as I was by this point, I chuckled internally for the pure spite of it. For this, at last, was proof positive that despite my sister Amma's assurances and my torturer's confident attitudes, these ladies clearly had no idea how to deal with a white woman's hair. They had backed themselves into a corner, and the sheer disaster of the results was delightful in its absurdity. And yet, even in the face of the kind of chewed bubblegum catastrophe often solved in American suburbia only by the cold application of scissors, they did not give up. Even the circus master redeemed herself somewhat in my eyes by commanding a brilliant operation to immerse the top of my head in very hot water and thus melt the wax out of it. And it worked! A patient 30 minutes later and the seemingly inevitable vision of my future baldness washed away into wet strands of combable hair. 
these were quickly, triumphantly twisted up into brown synthetic and added to the Medusa's nest of slithery plates covering the whole of my head. Finally, finally, the 13-hour ordeal had ended. I stared admiringly into the mirror at my hard-won African style. The girls complimented me at length. Wohoyefe, they said. You are beautiful. Obruni nohoyefe, they said to each other. Oh, I stretched and flexed, reassuring myself that someday I would again feel the presence of my rear end. But for now, it was worth it. Clearly, it was far past the typical closing time for the shop, and everyone was making ready to go home. As promised, someone flagged me a taxi and gave the driver instructions to take me to my house. I thanked them all many times on my way out. Madassi! Madassi! As I stepped across the threshold, one of the girls handed me a pick comb. I looked at her inquiringly. For the itching, she said, but disappeared again before I could ask what she meant. All's Hair and Love and War was written and read by Amber Lockridge. The theme music is Apatampa, Ghana Rhythms of the People CD, which is used with permission from Multicultural Media. This podcast was recorded and lovingly cultivated by Rocky Lou Productions. If you like this, come and see what else we're working on at rockyloproductions.com.